are listening to First Church Charlotte. I just want to say on behalf of the First Church family to these lovely people who are across the front, we are honored that you would worship with us and join your life with us. Uh, we, aren't, we aren't a church of perfect people. The only, the only perfect thing about this church is the pastor. The pastor is the shining example of perfection. But the, no, you, you, you understand what I'm saying. And the fact that you would see value in spiritual community. That's the way the New Testament church was ordered and established. And I want to be the first one to welcome these lovely, lovely people. We've had the opportunity as a pastoral staff to get to know them. I want to say to those of you who haven't gone through first steps, it's not about purifying you. (laughs) It's not about indoctrinating you. We talk some about doctrine, but that's not what it's about. It's about getting to know each other. Um, uh, You understand what I'm saying? We need to tell each other our stories. We need, to, we need to say each other's first names repeatedly. <laughs> and if we spend some time together, um, I promise you we'll get to know each other. Uh, if you're considering going through the process but you're a little suspicious, um, feel free to grab any one of these graduates and ask them what their experience was and if they in any way felt uh, uncomfortable or anything like that. One more time, church, let's welcome them with a hand clap. Thank you all for becoming a part of our church. I am in part three of a series I've been doing entitled Soul Survivor, and I, my goal when I started this out was for us to have a serious conversation about the keeping of our heart. One of the things that Jesus distinguished himself by, if you look at his words kind of in opposite, in, in opposite or in counterpoint, shall we say, to the teaching of the scribes and the, the, the Pharisees is Jesus was not satisfied to have a label of religion. He always brought it back to the issues of the heart. He always, he always pushed past your social standing, whether or not you have the right tribe, whether or not you had done this right and that right. And he pushed beyond that to where your heart was. And if your heart wasn't right, it didn't matter if your community thought of you as a teacher of the law, you weren't right. But if your heart was right, it didn't matter if your community thought you were a sinner. Jesus made time for you and invested in you. That was my goal, and we've talked two weeks about the keeping of our heart, and our theme scripture was from Proverbs, where we are admonished to keep our heart. Why? Because out of it uh, literally flows the the issues of life, the stuff that makes us who we are. Um, We also reference Jesus teaching uh, his followers when he was criticized about not following some of the technical details of the law and the formalistic way in which they washed before they ate. Um, He said, look, it's not that which is without a man that defiles that man. Uh, It is that which is in his heart, that which proceeds from his heart. We all of us are living in a spiritually toxic environment. Uh, last night, I, uh, I, to be perfectly honest with you, I haven't spent a lot of time on Facebook this year. I never do, but this year's been particularly bad. I have avoided a lot of social 
And the modern politics is like a secular religion. And uh, philosophies have all of, you get the idea, it's just this kind of witch's brew that's just bubbling around you. And in the midst of that, we have to try to protect our heart, to keep our heart, because if we fail to do that, our Christian label that's stamped on us won't save us. We have to have a heart that in some way hosts the presence of God. And yes, that sounds a little bit strange and a little bit far out there, but literally the point of the New Testament is that there is no longer separation from people and the presence of God, but he, Jesus, was the veil. His flesh was torn and that separation was ended. And so we, in the literal efforts of our heart and the style and function of our worship, and praise. We host his presence. There is no more separation. Uh, I'm not going to preach about that. Let me, let me get started here. I've spent a lot of time thinking about how we protect our heart. And I think one of the things we need to start by doing is um, admitting that much of the time we are forced to live in a toxic environment. And that's not an accident, but God placed us in that environment to be a living antidote to it. In fact, the role of the body of Christ in the earth is to in some way be in the earth, but not of it. Y'all going to help me a little bit here today? It makes me feel better if you help me a little bit. And if you don't, then I just preach longer. So I win either way. <laughs> um, I, want, I want you to see that we are, we are striving and we're living this life. And uh, it almost, we just have to admit it's kind of a toxic environment to us. Now, 21 years ago today, I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, most of you know this story. I, uh, 29 years old, I was diagnosed with a lymphoma, which is a cancer of the blood. And uh, it was the week of Thanksgiving, and it has changed how Thanksgiving feels to me for 21 years. Now, I'm healthy today. I'm very thankful. Uh, but I have, like anyone would, spent time wondering why, why I got cancer. It doesn't run in my family. I'm the only person in my family who has, uh, who's ever had a blood cancer like that. And I, I spent a lot of time wondering, and I don't know, but sometimes I think that when I, because I started working early, I, I quit going to regular school at 15. I started going to night school, and I started working full time. And I worked in uh, construction, mainly Division Nine, which is uh, drywall and painting surfaces, um, textures, wallpapers, all that stuff. That's what I did, and I did not do a good job of wearing uh, protective equipment. Now, when you spray paint, I, sp I use big industrial sprayers. And when you spray paint, you're supposed to wear um, uh, masks uh, because it protects you from breathing all that paint dust. And, well, you know, when you're 16, 15, 16, 17, you're going to live forever. Why would you ever follow anybody's advice about that? So I kind of wore my mask, but I breathed a lot of paint dust. I did a lot of drywall and didn't really wear my mask when I was sanding. I mean, I did, kind of, but I was sloppy with it because I was a kid. And when you're a kid, you just don't have good judgment. Full story. Hate to tell you, but it's the truth. You'll understand one day better by and by, and I love all you young people. Um, I look back, and I wondered if that's what set me up to be sick. Uh, if that was breathing all of that, is that what made me sick? I don't know. I'm thankful today that uh, with the help 
help of doctors and medical care and also strength from the Lord. I'm healthy and I've been 20 years in remission. I'm very thankful for that. Thank you for, for celebrating with me. Um, but I just want to say toxic environments, it's not that they kill you right away. It's that they begin to kill you right away, but you don't notice for a very, very long time, do you see? It's not that they kill you right away. It's just that it serves as this toxic influence in your life. And um, the truth is that we through sin. Now, this is a quick moment to give you a theological overview, okay? Uh, sin is what has done this uh, in the story of humanity. And sin is not just, you know, the transgression of an act. I wasn't supposed to eat chocolate. I couldn't help myself. I ate chocolate. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? I had this problem last night. Not going to do it, and I got, oh my God, that's some fine chocolate. Um, it's, sin is not just transgression. Uh, sin is a different problem. Sin is, is not really simply an issue of I did what I wasn't supposed to do. It's, it's actually before that. That's more of a symptom. The sin problem uh, is expressed more in our nature than it is the fact that we are transgressors. Uh, the sin problem is that we want that stuff that hurts us. That's the sin problem. We lust and we have not and we war and we fight and we lust and we desire. That's the real sin problem. It's not an action problem. That's a symptom of it. It's a heart problem that we want these things and that was where Eve fell in the garden. I told you I was giving you a real quick theological uh, moment. Their nature was changed by their choices just as our nature will be changed by our choices. Or as uh, some uh, philosopher said, you know, character is destiny. It's really hard to hide from your character. Our choices change us, and so sin creates this nature problem within us, and it's not that we simply do it. It's that we want to do it. This is what Jesus is trying to get at on the Sermon on the Mount. He takes us all the way back. It's not just did I commit adultery. It's that there was this desire, this longing, this lust to choose that. All right. This is the toxicity of uh, this spiritual rebellion that exists within the heart of every sinner. So sin, a.k.a. spiritual rebellion, creates both a toxic nature and a toxic environment. Two pictures of this are shown to us in the Bible. The first, when you sin, death begins in your life. The day you sin, you shall die. It's not that you died that day. It's that the dying began that day. This toxic environment, that's the first image. The second image, that is the changed nature where the death begins to work in them. The second image is of a uh, toxic environment. So the first is a toxic nature. The second is a toxic environment. Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. All of this is imaged in the powerful stories given to us in Genesis. They're banished from the garden as if God would say, look, you ruin your world. I'm not going to let you ruin this one. Um, and so they're banished from the garden and they're uh, held uh, you know, in abeyance by this image of a, an, an angel with a sword. And so we, having become sinners, having inherited the nature, the desire to do these, to lust and to, to, to have and to take and to keep and war one with another over more, more, more. We, having inherited this nature, need to be delivered from the bondage of death that is in our body. And so this happens through repentance 
It happens through transformation. What is repentance? When we turn away from sin, rebellion, the flesh, the what we want. This is not the way I was built and made and designed and crafted for a better thing than this. And I now am turning toward the way that God intended for me to live. And so I am repenting. Forgive me what I've, for what I've made of myself. Forgive me for what I've done with my world. And now this process of transformation begins. Baptism, both spirit and water, having turned away from the world, repentance, transformation begins to work in our life, spirit and water baptism. And now we become a new creation in Christ Jesus and we are given this path to walk, this journey. The battle isn't simply done in a day where once you flip that switch, it's suddenly easy. Wouldn't it be awesome if you knew there was going to be no temptation this week? Wouldn't that be amazing? I would be so happy because temptation and I are very close. I mean, sometimes I think temptation and I are like this, and the only people here worse than me are you. So temptation, very close. Wouldn't it be great if we could be done with it? But no, it is no longer simply the choice of um, I no longer am tempted by sin. Now it is the living out of a life of worship, which is the intentional statement of creation to creator, I choose you. I will serve you. I will fall seven times, but that won't be the end of me. I'll get back up and start again. I'll have any number of errors and transgressions, and you get the idea, but I will not be denied. I will always turn back to you. I choose you. This is how spiritual maturity works in our life. This is spiritual maturity. Your heart is healthy. Stay with me. Your heart is healthy, but you live in a toxic world. On the inside, it is well with your soul, but you're surrounded by hate and rage and anger and fear, but it's okay. It is well with your soul. That is of spiritual maturity. You are in a toxic environment, but it is okay because it is well with your soul. But that's not mission. That's maturity. Mission is when you walk through a toxic world in such a way that your life is a testimony of the transformation God has worked in your life. You're not just barely making it, do you see? You're not just holding on, but you are living truly to manifest another way of living. This is mission. All right, so I brought you up to date. What could we find in the scripture that would give us an example, a concise example? Last Sunday, I gave you the Sermon on the Mount, and that's three chapters long, and although you can read it in one sitting, it's a lot to memorize, although I encourage you to try. Uh, it, is, it is a lot to carry with you. We need something a little more concise. And so today I'm going to give you the condensed version of how to have a healthy soul in a toxic world. I'm going to give you a condensed version of how to keep your hearts and your life is flowing out of the issues of your heart. And this is how you keep your soul on track. You stay with your growth with God and you stay with your focus on heaven. I am going to give you 
This moment in the scripture where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. And he gives them perhaps the most concise guide to the care of the soul that you will find anywhere. So I'm going to read it. If you know it, you're welcome to mouth it with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the best, most concise care of the soul guide that you will find anywhere because these words are like a personal declaration upon divine dependence. It's my dependence, declaration of dependence upon God. I can't do this on my own. If I go my way, I am just going to pursue the lust of my flesh, and I will always be the sum of my lusts. Or I could focus my eyes heavenward, and I could see a higher way. I could orient myself in a more eternal manner. I want to take each one of these passages that we read here today, and I want to try to answer five questions that I think are fundamental to each of us in the care of our soul. Our soul must survive. I don't know what you're going to have to go through. You need to keep your faith. I don't know what sickness is going to be in your body, but you're going to have to keep your faith through it all. I don't know what tragedy will befall you, will befall me, but our soul has to survive the swings of fortune and the pain of existence and the loss of this life. Our soul has to survive, and we are given a spiritual guide, so to speak, in the Lord's Prayer to keep us centered and founded and focused. And the first question that you need to see in the Lord's Prayer is this issue of what is holy? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. To hallow something is to make it holy. To hallow something is to make it sacred. To hallow something is to sanctify or consecrate or venerate. And you could put it in the verb form and then you would say like the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name. What is your ideals? All of you have a set of ideals. You don't have to be religious to have a set of ideals. All of us have things we admire when we see in someone else. All of us have things that we resonate with when some character in a novel demonstrates them or some, um, somebody cast in a movie part, their character demonstrates it and you like them or you don't like them. Why do you like them or not? Because of the ideal by which you have lived. To make something holy is to proclaim it the highest good. It speaks to your hope. 
It speaks to your ambitions. It is a question of aspirations. What is holy to you? Jesus said that we should direct our hearts heavenward and we should say, hallowed be thy name. What is he saying? You shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sin. You cannot perceive God except through the image of a redeemer and you need to make that holy in your life. This is the good news. I wasn't good enough, but Jesus was. I had no hope, so Jesus became my hope. I was broken and lost and hurting, but Jesus has made a way. I'm making that holy. If you see God in any way except through the lens of a redeemer, it's going to be a scary deity that you consider because he who had everything chose us. It makes no sense to the logical mind. And yet through the life of Jesus and through the image of a cross upon which he died, we make his name holy. Jehovah has become my salvation. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sweetest name I know. What is holy? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The second part, thy kingdom come. Say it with me. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the question. What comes first in your heart? What is that agent of primacy? in your life? What has, what answers the question of spiritual order, what comes first? Jesus would describe the kingdom of heaven like a man who found a treasure in a field and he realized that he needed to buy the field. And so what he did is he went and he gave, got rid of everything else. He, he, he liquidated his entire estate and he went and bought that field. Why? There was a treasure in that field that was worth everything. So it is that there's a merchant seeking goodly pearls. He trades in pearls. He has lots of pearls. It's his business. But a day came when he met shall I say it that way, where he discovered the pearl of great price. And he said, all the other pearls in my life, all the other things of value in my life, they all can be liquidated because there's one pearl of great price. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. What comes first for you? The way of the believer is to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my desires, not my wishes. I choose your order in my life. This image will happen over and over in the scripture. It's a recurring theme. It's even in some of the awkward stories of the Old Testament where a prophet uh, is in a time of famine and he meets with a a widow woman who has just her and her son and um, she is preparing their last meal and the prophet asks if she would give it to him, the prophet. This is so awkward because what, what individual, particularly a prophet who has given his whole life to the service, the spiritual service of others, it can't be comfortable, easy for him to ask a widow woman for this. The point is not that he's taken from the needy. The point is an image of the kingdom of God being first in our life. And he says this, look, if you'll give that to me, 
in trust, then God will honor the gift of your trust. If you can trust God, he will honor his trust. Jesus honors that trust. Jesus told his disciples, you'll have given up nothing where I owe you. Whatever you gave up for the kingdom of God, I will repay you in multitudes. Uh, So it is with this woman. And she gives to the prophet. And what happens? The oil and the flour that she has never runs out. It never runs out through the famine. Why? You cannot outgive God. And the principle of putting God first must be a question you answer. It must be foundational to the care of your soul. So what is holy to you? That's number one. Number two, what is first in your heart? Number three is very, very helpful because I think it, it speaks to the lived experience of our lives in, in such a profound way. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Somebody say daily bread. We all need daily bread. When I was growing up in my parents' household, they called money bread. And my dad would joke with my mom and say, I need a little bread. And uh, she would joke with him that he needed to give that bread back. And I grew up listening to bread being a metaphor for money. So now it's normal for me to ask my wife for bread. And uh, being a good wife, she uh, bakes that bread. Praise God. Mm. So we all need daily bread. But look what the next phrase. You can't separate, give us this day our daily bread from the trespasses and forgiveness passage. Why? Because the writer, Jesus, the speaker, put a great big and in the middle. And. Forgive us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass us. It helps you to understand the nature of trespass when you understand the great need we all have for daily bread. We're all afraid that we won't have enough. We're all afraid that we won't be able to take care of ourselves and our families. We all are fearful that the doctor's bills, the doctor bills will destroy what savings we have. We're all fearful that there won't be enough and we try to solve it through the flesh. And like the rich man in the scripture, we build more barns and more barns and more barns and heaven shakes its head at us as if to say, thou fool, you didn't know what you needed. Only God could answer the question of what you needed and so we We are taught to pray, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. So many of our trespasses are built upon the fear that we won't have enough. And so we lie and we cheat and we deceive one another and we trespass against one another. Why do we do that? I'll tell you why. We're all worried about having enough and how much is enough no one can answer. And so we just say more and more and more and we trade our ethics for more and we transgress one against another. Why? For more. And we end up battling and lusting one another. Why? For more. We don't know how much we'll need and so we try to solve it with more and the result is a culture of transgression and the Lord said let me give you the daily bread and forgive us 
our trespasses, he taught us to pray, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. They're just as afraid of running out of daily bread as you are. And just as you're tempted to trade your ethics for more, they're tempted to trade their ethics for more. It's not always just money. It might be acceptance. It might be for standing in a social context. It might be for place in a a work uh, environment. Whatever the reason, we're all worried about having enough and we can't answer, so we just decide to go for more and transgression is born one against another. But once you see that the person who harmed you was afraid and fragile just like you're afraid and fragile and they wanted enough just like you wanted enough, mercy begins to flow between you, so give us this day our daily bread. We don't know how much we need, you know, so give us what we need and forgive us for the trespasses we have done, trying to make ourselves secure as we forgive the people who did the same thing to us. Number four, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The question is, what or who are you following? We are all of us following somebody. We are all of us following somebody. Like the prophet said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Lead us not into into temptation. We all of us make the mistake of thinking that we're self-starters when we're really products of circumstances. We all of us think that we choose things that oftentimes are the results of things we experienced or survived years before. Uh, A lot of us like to think we're self-made, but that is largely delusional. Uh, We all of us are the survivors of our yesterdays summed and piled upon our shoulders. Who or what are you following? Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. When a rabbi asked disciples to follow him in the time of Jesus, it had tremendous cultural importance that we miss because it was the way of a rabbi to select a small group of students and ask them if they would like to follow them. Uh, It gave them continual access to the teacher. Uh, They lived alongside their rabbi. They experienced firsthand how they should live their lives, how the scriptures should be lived out. And they made a commitment to learn from this individual, and it was unwavering. No one accepted students who bounced between rabbis. Uh, No one honored someone who could could not make a commitment. And so when Jesus asked his disciples to follow him, they didn't have to find out the details. They knew what it meant. It wasn't as though Jesus could say to Andrew, follow me, and Andrew say, okay, but what does that mean? Well, you have to quit your job. You have to turn your back on the immediate care of your family right around you. You'll see him from time to time. We'll be in the area, but that can no longer be your focus, your main focus. We might even visit, but your main focus has to be the pursuit of truth, following me. Andrew didn't need those questions answered. Why? He knew what it meant when a rabbi asked a small group of students to follow, and this is what Jesus did to them. But in John chapter number 14, he takes them even a step further, and he says to them, this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not asking them to follow him here. They've already done that. 
They've already left their families. They've already given aside to their businesses and, and sold their nets and their boat and got out of business and are following Jesus. He's not asking them again to follow him. He is saying, the way I am living, the themes of my life where I serve others, where I pray for others, where I give myself, I spend myself for this broken world. I come and I am broken to make whole a broken world. This is the way I living before you. This is the truth. I walking before you. This is the life walking before you. This is what Jesus is going to show them at Calvary when he says, if I be lifted up, I draw all men unto me. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ is an invitation to a way of life where you turn away from the temporal. You turn away from the things of this world and you say, to the best of my ability, I am going to incline myself to the kingdom of heaven. I am going to care about eternal things. I am going to spend my life in the service of others and the propagation of the mission. I am the way, Jesus says, follow me. I am the truth, Jesus says, follow me. Then Jesus said to them, Matthew 16 and 24, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So we answer the question, what are or who are you following? And finally, I'm almost done, musicians, you can come. We answer the question shown to us in the ending of the prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What or who will you worship? Don't say you're not a worshiper. Everyone worships. Let me say that again in case you were kind of dozing a little bit. I know it's a problem if you haven't had enough caffeine. Everyone's a worshiper. Worship comes from the old English word worth-ship. You see, that's where the word comes from. And that is a accurate translation of the same word in the Aramaic with which the scripture is written. It's not just worship in order to understand. It is worth-ship. What is of worth in your life? That's what you're worshiping. What is of high value and high regard in your life? That is what you are worshiping. And all of us worship something. It may not be religious. It may be a career. It may be a business. It may be a dream. It may be self. That's the most common idol. Uh, it may be kids. It may be family. It may be uh, ambition, a goal, a hobby. All of us worship. All of us place worth in something. Uh, I love this old story from Paul Newman. Paul Newman was a huge actor back uh, in the days uh, of yore in Yon, and you kids will not know who Paul Newman is, but Paul Newman was one of the original cool cats back when there was a such thing as cool cats. He was a huge movie star, huge. Uh, stories told um, in one of the books uh, about him, a woman entered a haagen store in Kansas City Plaza for an ice cream cone. After making her selection, she turned and found herself face-to-face -face with Paul Newman. 
in town filming a movie. He smiled and said to the woman, hello. The writer says, Newman's blue eyes made her knees buckle. Hmm. You know that feeling. Don't be acting too cool. You know that feeling. She managed to pay for her cone, then left the shop, heart pounding. When she gained her composure, she's outside the shop now. She realized she didn't have her ice cream. And so she started back into the store to get her ice cream. And she met Paul Newman at the door again. He was coming out. She was coming in. He said to her with a smile, are you looking for your ice cream? She nodded, again, unable to speak. And he said to her, true story, you put it in your purse with your change. Everybody worships. Everybody worships. What will you worship? Let me tell you how I will worship. For thine is the kingdom. Want to say it with me? (laughs) And the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I know this isn't uh, really the position of the the modern mind, the modern heart. Um, modern times brought us the celebration of self. Uh, poet Walt Whitman writ- wrote the famous poem, Song of Myself, and he says, I celebrate myself. I sing myself. That's the beginning of it. And modernity took that poem as its theme, and we all of us uh, serve ourselves and worship ourselves and exalt ourselves and make of ourselves and our opinions the highest star in our sky and, and make of truth uh, whatever we're convinced of this year and uh, make the highest philosophy whatever we recently have wrapped our arms around and somehow turned into a pithy state saying and then we wonder why it all feels so shallow and it all feels so empty and it all feels so short. Well, uh, you have plumbed the depths of you and found yourself to be a shallow sea. We all of us have fulfilled the motto of Joseph Campbell, who was a big influence on American culture in the 20th century. And he gave us this motto, which is widely celebrated, follow your bliss. Follow your bliss, okay, okay. In other words, what makes you happy? That's what you should do. Look, I'm not entirely unsympathetic to it. I kind of get it, but there's a problem. None of us can fulfill the highest place and look at ourselves in the mirror without feeling like a fool. We all of us need a higher place than the heart that we are experiencing in the here and now. And I would suggest that simply pursuing your bliss will always leave you in the, leave you in the shallowest portions of your life. There is something beyond your bliss. There has to be and there should be that which is eternal. And you know to your aching bones that you are not eternal. At least not in the sense that you have possession of yourself. It might be there's a part of you that God created and that part's eternal. But if God indeed created that part of you, maybe you should consider for a moment that there is a right path in which you return your eternal soul to him and you care for that soul and you protect that soul and you don't let just anything influence that soul and you guard it because you know it matters. 
If your soul's not right, your religious front won't save you. People follow their bliss. They do. Uh, David Sharp was a mountain climber. He loved to climb mountains, and he died May 2006 near the top of Mount Everest, uh, which is not that surprising. Lots of people have died trying to climb Mount Everest. I think, I think it's a surprising number, like 1% of people who try to die, uh, climb Mount Everest die trying. That's, that's pretty impressive. Um, he died. That's not shocking. He ran out of oxygen and laid down on the side of the trail and slowly died. What's shocking is that uh, 40 people, 40 climbers walked past him, saw him dying there. None of them stopped to help. None of them offered any of their oxygen to him. Why, 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 why? They were pursuing their bliss, which is not of itself all wrong. But if that's as deep as your soul goes, your soul is not going to be very healthy. And as long as the winds blow softly in your life, you'll get away with it. But when the storm comes, like Jesus says, it beats against the house. And then the foundations of the house are revealed. The foundations aren't revealed in the good days. It's revealed in the storms. You guys could preach this message better than I'm preaching it. I'm here to tell you, take care of your soul. In Jesus, we meet the deepest ocean of hope and grace and joy that has ever been expressed from God's heart to our heart. You're going to serve somebody. Why don't you make it somebody worth serving? You're going to serve somebody. Why don't you make it someone who loved you so much he gave himself for you? In Jesus Christ, we meet God in person. He truly becomes, real quick, back to theology, the ultimate revelation of God. You don't need to pray for an angel. You need to get in the Gospels and meet Jesus. He becomes the ultimate manifestation of God. If you want to know what God is like, read about Jesus. If you want to have a sense of God's heart, look what Jesus did. If you want to know what God cares about, listen to what Jesus said. Or as John said in first chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Or as the author of the book of Hebrews said, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he had provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. Or as Paul would write in Colossians, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He is the word, the full expression, the exact representation of God. All the fullness of God dwells in him. And so we care for our souls and we listen to the words of Jesus. And if you want to have a concise way 
to care for your soul? Answer these five questions that are posed to you in the Lord's Prayer and answer them carefully. What is holy? How are you going to live? What, what, what is holy to you? What are you hallowing? I'll tell you what I'm going to hallow. I am going to say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What comes first in your heart? These are questions you ought to think about. You ought to care what comes first in your heart. This is issues of spiritual order. I want to say with Jesus, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Number three, how much is enough for you? Are you ever going to have enough? Or are you always going to sell your soul in the mistaken belief that more is what your soul needs? If you live that way, you're going to trade your ethics. You're going to trade your, uh, the most valuable things in your life. You're going to transgress against others. They're going to transgress against you. There's going to be competition and fighting and warring. There's a better way to live than trying to answer this question for myself. I'm going to look heavenward and say, you give me this day as my daily bread. I'm going to trust you to know how much bread I need and for Forgive me my trespasses as I forgive those who've trespassed against me. And number four, how are you going to walk? Who are you going to follow? All we like sheep have gone astray. We are all of us following some influence, some impact. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And number five, for thine is the kingdom, the glory the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What or who will you worship? I'm going to care for my soul. Stand with me all across the house. Say it with me. Most of you can quote this. Our Father who art in heaven. Say it with me. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lift your hands all across the house. Lord Jesus, we want to follow in your way. We want to follow in your direction. We don't want to just go the direction of our heart. We want to respond to the example shown to us in the Word of God, and we want to walk the road to Calvary ourselves because there's something happening there that each of us desperately needs. Each of us desperately needs redemption. Each of us desperately needs covering. Each of us desperately needs a washing. Each of, each of us needs to be transformed from the old us into who you created us to be. We need to pursue what you had in mind when you formed us and when you spoke over us and breathed into that clay the breath of life. Each of us need to live in your image of us, not in our image of us. 
Lord Jesus, I pray for your people. Let us protect our hearts with all diligence. Let us attend to our souls. Let us take this journey seriously. Let us seek to please you with our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you... Would you turn right where you are into a place of prayer? You can sit where you are. You can lift your hands and pray where you are. Excuse me, but I I want us to linger here for a moment in the presence of the Lord. I have a a sense of his presence in my heart right now. I feel the wooing of his spirit and on me to follow in his way. Maybe you could respond to that. Our worship team is going to lead us in worship. If you need to go, you could be dismissed. If you're visiting with us, feel free to leave at any time. But we're just going to turn this whole house into a prayer time for a moment and let our souls bask in the presence of God all across the house. Pray with me right now. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're hungry for you. We're hungry for your way. We're hungry for your will. Save us from the delusions of the flesh. Save us from the self-deception which stalks us so effectively. Oftentimes the strongest lies we tell are the lies we tell ourselves. And then we double down by believing those lies and creating an absurd state where our soul suffers. Oh God, would you work on us, I pray. Would you stir us, I pray, oh Lord. Don't let us settle for the, the, the... shallowness of our own carnal reasoning, but help us to pursue something that is eternal in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.